It is a truth universally acknowledged that all big sisters think that being the oldest in the family is the toughest possible job. And little sisters would probably say the same about being the baby. No one, and I mean no one, captures this better than Beezus and Ramona Quimby, the sister duo made famous by author Beverly Cleary starting in 1955, when the first book in the series, Beezus and Ramona, was published. On today's episode, we dive headfirst into that book, which introduced readers to the Quimby family and gave them a very small glimpse of the lovable pest that Ramona would prove herself to be. You'll hear my guest Penny Luxick and I break down every one of Ramona's hilarious antics and share our own experiences of being older sisters. I've got to say, it was really fun to compare notes and to spend some time celebrating sisterhood in all its highs, lows, and yes, annoying moments. Penny works at The Wing, the super cool girls-only co-working space and community of which I am a very proud member. Penny was previously a bookseller at Stories Bookshop and Storytelling Lab in Brooklyn, where she also ran a middle-grade book club. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Lenny Puxick. This episode is brought to you by the Day in the Life podcast. If you like people watching as much as I do, and I promise I'm not a creep, trust me when I tell you that this show is the podcast equivalent. Every week, my good friend Brittany Lynn invites someone new to share about the ins and outs of their lives. Ever wonder what it's really like to be a middle school teacher, a comedy writer, a Hollywood stunt coordinator, or a fashion blogger? You can find out on Day in the Life. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. I know you're going to love it, and I can't wait to hear which episode is your favorite. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Penny. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. You gave me the best excuse to reread Beezus and Ramona. And I have to say, people have been requesting Ramona Quimby like for months. So finally, you are giving the people what they want. And you should feel great about that. You're already very popular with the SSR community. Yeah, I love Beezus and Ramona. I think Ramona Quimby is somebody... Like there's there's no character that's funnier or better or like more kooky. I work at the wing. We have a an office in our one of our New York locations that is described as Ramona Quimby's office. I think it's called um, like Office of the Pest or something like that. That's amazing. I'm a member of the wing, which for those listening who don't know is um, like an all women's co-working community, which it's amazing. Um, I did not know that there was a Ramona space. That's incredible. There is a Ramona space. You should definitely take a phone call there. I will have to do that. So is that why you picked the book? Like, tell me more about why this was your choice. It was one of four options that I sent you. So um, I guess part of it was like, that was one of the choices you were given. But is there another reason that you picked it? Like, what's your history with this book? I mean, I think the first time I read this book was it was read to me or I was reading it with um, my mom. And it's not a book that I necessarily consider to be a favorite of mine. I think... You know, I have a little sister. Um, I am very much like Beezus. My sister was very much like Ramona. Um, and so I think, you know, in the years since reading it that first time, it's it's not a book that has felt like an escape. 
it's something that felt really true to life at the time that I read it. So yeah, I wanted to reread it and sort of see how, you know, if my experience with it changed, if my if I felt any different way towards Ramona that I did when I was a child. So yeah, that's why I chose it. So we'll get into all the details over the course of the next hour or so, but right off the bat, did you feel the same? Like what were those first few pages, those first few chapters like? Did you feel like you were having a similar experience or did were you reading it with a different perspective with the benefit of all of these years? I definitely had a different experience reading it. I think there's this sort of theme that runs through the book about how do sisters kind of grow into being adult sisters and how does that relationship, you know, change over time. And I think reading it this time, I was much more drawn to Ramona than I was to Beezus. I think I, you know, I could look at Beezus and say like, oh, girlfriend, I know what you're going through. I know this feeling, but also look at your creative, inspiring, wonderful sister and, you know, it'll be okay. Yeah. Well, I have to say off the bat that I am also an older sister. So I think you and I will be able to commiserate. I was hoping that you would be an older sister because as I was reading this book, I just found myself highlighting so many things that I'm like, I relate, I relate, I relate. And it, I think will be way easier for us to talk about stuff like that, having gone through that same experience. I have three younger half-sisters and one younger stepsister. Wow. Yeah, so I'm like the big sister of all big sisters. And so much of this rings true. I'm significantly older than my sisters. Um, My youngest sister is 10 years younger than I am. So a lot of these sort of like antics that Ramona gets into, I have vivid memories of experiencing when I was like much older, which is sort of an interesting perspective. And when I read this book myself, when I was probably like six or seven, I didn't have sisters that were old enough to get into this kind of trouble yet. So it's kind of like a weird thing where I read it. Probably one of my sisters was born when I read it as a kid, but I wasn't like making the connection yet and it didn't it didn't speak to me that way. And now as an adult, I'm able to be like, Beezus, I get it. Totally feel you girl on all of these frustrations, but also understanding what those frustrations can grow into once you sort of get through all of the BS that comes with growing up and like arguing with your siblings. I have a much smaller age gap. My younger sister is almost three years younger than me. So this dynamic is extremely familiar. I think like that sort of, you know, pressure to be an example, whether or not it's put on you, you know, by parents or, you know, I think we're like Beezus, for instance, her parents are very clearly expecting her to be a good example, to be a caretaker for Ramona. I didn't necessarily have that exact pressure, but I think as an older sibling, you always feel responsible for, you know, showing yourself in a good light to your younger sibling. And so, yeah, I think I reading it at six or seven, I was frustrated. I was so frustrated with Ramona. I was like, this child has no idea what she's doing or how she's ruining Beezus's life. Yeah. And this time I didn't feel that this time I was like, she's really enriching their relationship and teaching Beezus a lot about what it means to be a kid. Yeah. I want to go through some of Ramona's antics because I think so many of them are funny. She's a really imaginative kid. She's really creative, which I think I don't want to speak for you, but for me, at least that was something that I appreciated more about her this time around. And it sounds kind of like that's what you're alluding to. Like maybe that's the part of her that's inspiring and interesting. And it seems like Beezus is kind of figuring that out too. Like there are moments when they're in the art class where Beezus is definitely like competing with Ramona, knowing that Ramona is more creative than she is, but she has a moment 
moment where she's sort of like, oh, my sister is like so creative and inspiring. And she's almost like using Ramona as her muse for coming up with her own painting. Mm -hmm. But let's go through some of the antics. So there's a lot of them. I mean, we could go on and on. One of the first big ones is when she writes in the library book and... (laughs) Again, like you said, Beezus has this responsibility to take care of Ramona, which is something that I do relate to because I was older enough Mm. as compared to my younger siblings where, like, even when I was younger, my parents could trust me with, like, some responsibility to, like, make sure that my sisters didn't, like, fall off a couch while we were watching TV. At seven years old, I was capable of doing that. And so I understood Ramona's sort of, like, ugh reaction when her parents are like, why don't you take her to the library? And it's like, I just want to go to the library by myself. But anyway, so she takes Ramona to the library and has this whole argument with her about how she, like, doesn't know how to write her name yet, so she can't have a library card. And ultimately, she takes out this steam shovel book for Ramona under her name, and it's this whole drama about how Ramona then like writes her name or thinks that she's writing her name all over the pages. One of my favorite things about this situation is that it's like so high stakes. It reads as this like very dramatic situation. She says, mother, what am I going to do? It's checked out on my card and I'm responsible. She's always spoiling my fun and it isn't fair. And it's like, girl, it's a library book. It's your library card. Everything's going to be fine. But I also understand the sort of high stakes drama of it. I think speaking as somebody who loved the library as a child, like the idea of a destroying a book, which is ungodly shocking. Um, and two sort of being then responsible for, you know, talking to the librarian about the fee and telling my mother. And it does sound so unbelievably dramatic. And I think, you know, this time reading it, one of the things that struck me most about this particular antic is that Ramona is trying so hard to grow up in, in, a, in a very specific way and to sort of like match pitch with Beezus. She also wants a library card. She can also write her name. And that's something that is so hard to understand, I think, as an as older sibling when you're in that moment, because it does feel like competitive and, you know, sort of like you're managing somebody or can. And I think Beezus feels that way. And I certainly had moments feeling that way. But I don't know, reading from a distance, I can, I don't know, I really appreciate Ramona's like nerve to try and write her name over and over. See, it's so funny because I sort of had the opposite reaction where rereading that scene as an adult like brought me right back there to these moments of frustration. And again, maybe it was the fact that you and I sort of had these different, these age gaps were different. So you experienced some of these things at a different maturity level than I did but I had this like very visceral reaction during this scene because Ramona is basically like in front of the librarian undermining everything Beezus is saying because Beezus is like it's okay Ramona it's no big deal you're only four years old you can't write your name yet you will be able to but like you can't have a library card yet and Ramona is just insisting that she can and I just remember like shout out to my little sisters if you're listening love ya but I just remember my little sisters being like oh no I can do this I can do it I I can do it. And me being like, no, you can't. Like, just let me be the big sister. Like, let me know how to do something that you can't because I'm older than you. This is embarrassing. And obviously I'm communicating it in a much more like mature, lucid way than I could at that time. But just those feelings of being like, you can't, you can't. And I'm sure as a sister, you're supposed to be more empowering and more supportive. But I so felt her Ramona in that moment of being like, just let me be older in front of these people. Let these people that we don't know, these strangers, this librarian who I probably really respect, like, let me be the mature one in this situation. 
Yeah, no, I totally feel that. I think that was always like one of the fights I had, you know, with my sister was like, I can do this better than you. I can do this before you, but it's only like, it's only because I'm older and you will do it eventually. And I think that's such a like tricky thing to understand as a little kid. And, you know, not only to understand that, like, I don't know, it just like nothing actually matters, but it all feels so big when you can do it for the first time. And yeah, I, I agree. I think it's so frustrating and can be so embarrassing. And it's like, you just want to shake them and say like, I get to have this for a few more years or I get to. Yeah. And I think some of it too, like comes in, there's a dynamic with parents that you don't necessarily read in a book like this. Cause this is a book geared toward like late elementary schoolers really. So you're not going to read about the complex dynamics and the psychology that happens between the children and the parents. But for me, at least I think some of it is like when you're growing up and you have younger siblings, your parents are really encouraging you, as you mentioned, to like take your younger siblings under their wing. And my parents were always very much about like empowering my younger sisters to be closer to my age in some ways, like really like pushing them to get out of their comfort zone and doing things that maybe were like above their typical maturity level. Like, hey, like, why don't you see if you hang out around Allie's friends, like, it's okay, you can go in and and spend time with them. Or why don't you like go try to do this project that Allie's doing? And in hindsight, that's awesome that they were doing that because it's empowering. And it was important that my sisters got to experience those things as an older kid or like with somebody like me helping them. But what you don't read in this book is that like, that's hard for an older sibling. Like it's hard to feel like you're losing your turf constantly and constantly having to share. And then to even outside the purview of your parents, having your younger sibling like put you through those paces and being like, no, but I can still do it. I think that can sometimes really strike a nerve too. At least that was my experience. Yeah. I I share that experience. I think sort of, you know, you saying like losing turf, how did you say? Yeah. Like losing your turf. Like my turf is to be older. Like I'm supposed to be able to do certain, certain things. And I love you. And someday, like you said, like you will do these things. But until X number of years ago, I was the only kid here and I was the only kid who was supposed to grow up and do these things. And you have to wait your turn. Yeah, I I really resonate with that. And I think that that is an experience that like does come up somewhat in this book. I think the game of checkers, for instance, Mm -hmm. like Beezus and her friend playing checkers is something that is you know, remarkably different than Ramona, like riding around on the tricycle, shouting random words. Right. And it's so clearly like an older children's game. It's an older kid's game. It's an older kid's like way of being sort of still and calm. And it's clearly like so upsetting and aggravating that Ramona just doesn't let her have it. There is something kind of possessive innately about being an older sibling and And yes, having to suddenly share and having to suddenly sort of consider somebody else when you're trying to like grow up and live your life. Yeah. And I think the fact that we've already gotten into such, such a conversation about all of this a few minutes in is such a testament to how well Beverly Cleary wrote this dynamic at such an elementary level too. Like she really gives such a window into this kind of a relationship. And I do think it's worth mentioning before we go much further that Beezus and Ramona, which was the first book in the series, this is the only book that is written from Beezus's perspective. And I think that might've changed the way I related to it as well, because I remember reading so many of the other books that were more focused on Ramona. And so now as an adult, it's interesting to read about like the older kid in the dynamic. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the other thing that surprised me about rereading the book is that 
you know, it was written in the fifties, right? Like it's an older book. Yeah. 1955. Yeah. And I was really anticipating, you know, not relating as much to certain situations or things like that. But I think Beverly Cleary really does paint a very realistic picture of a sister dynamic. Um, at least, you know, the kind of dynamic that I had with my sister and sort of the livelihood that I that I was lucky to grow up with. And I think, I don't know, it, just, it struck so true, even though there were certain things that like absolutely never happened anymore. Yeah. Like your mom not wanting you to go out with your hair wet and make being like, well, I guess we won't have anything to eat because you can't possibly go to the grocery store if your hair is wet. Exactly. Doing the marketing as they say. Yeah. At first I highlighted that and I was like, what the hell? Like market, are we marketing a company? Like maybe this mom has this really badass like remote marketing job, but I was like, no, that's yeah, she's like definitely not a businesswoman. She's just going to the grocery store. No, she, that's like the, the, uh, cool person's term for going to the supermarket. So let's move on to Ramona's next antic, which I think might be my favorite when she locks the dog in the bathroom. Henry Huggins, who's like actually Beverly Cleary's original character, Henry comes over to play chess with Bezos and she brings his dog, Ribsy. And Ramon is like getting frustrated because she can't play with the older kids. And so her mom sends her to her room. And Ramona's solution is to then lock Ribsy in the bathroom because if she's been sent to her room as a punishment, she doesn't really see why he shouldn't be locked in the bathroom. And I just thought the whole thing, the dynamic was really funny because she's like, well, that dog went and got himself locked in the bathroom. She thought he was just, she was just like closing him in there and then they can't get him out. And so now Ramona is saying that it's like the dog's fault that he's in there. Yeah, I love that bit. I mean, besides the fact that it's such a good, like, sort of dramatic tension, like, it's a climax for, like, Henry and Beezus. Like, it seems to be, like, sort of the most complicated antic that Ramona is able to pull off. But I, I also think, you know, the things I really like about that scene are really have to do with Beezus. I think, you know, there's that moment where Beezus comes up with, like, the harebrained solution to put glue under the door so that maybe Ribsy will put his paw in the glue and then touch the doorknob and it will unstick the door. And like that to me is so childlike. And it is this, it's an incredibly imaginative scheme to get out of this situation. And I think it really points to the fact that like Beezus is a child and she is an imaginative, creative child. And it sort of only comes out in these moments of like inspiration when she sort of lets her guard down. And so I love that moment. And I, I also really love the moment shortly after where Henry scolds Ramona. He says something along the lines that like Beezus probably would have said about Ramona if Henry weren't there, right? Right. And there's this moment that it, it's so clear that, you know, that protective older sibling instinct comes out that like, yes, I'm going to call my younger sibling the worst over and over and over again, but I'm the only one who can do it. Anybody else who tries to do this is like dead in my book. Um, and so I think both those moments from Beezus are like really interesting kind of small character developments that point to both her being, you know, a creative kid herself and also like truly a loving sister, though she's constantly doubting that. And that comes up a few times, I think three or four times throughout the book, somebody other than Beezus repeats a statement that Beezus probably made herself at some other point and Beezus immediately corrects them and is like, don't say that about my sister. And like therein lies the sibling relationship, right? Like you can say whatever you want about your sibling, but nobody else can say that. Right. And that's the beauty of it. And also sort of like the hilarity 
of the whole relationship, which is like everybody has such intense feelings about their siblings, good and bad, and it's all complicated no matter who you are. But at the end of the day, like you're going to have your siblings back above anything else. And nobody better say anything nasty about them. I remember growing up, one thing that my mom said all the time to both my sister and I, um, but especially me when I was being sort of the Beezus in the relationship, you know, my mom would say like, this is somebody who is closer to you than literally anybody else on the earth. Like Mm -hmm. this person is more of you than anyone, including me, including your father, all of those things. And I think, I don't know, it is such a special relationship and it's one that is so difficult, but can be so rewarding as we see, you know, with Aunt Beatrice and their mother. Yeah, mother, as we, we only know her as mother with a capital M, of course. Very respectful, very 50s. The other thing that I want to mention and sort of add to that you had spoken about was sort of like Beezus's return to being a kid. Because I think something else that I related to her about is like, I think when you're the older sibling, you sort of take on a lot of adult responsibilities in your own head. And you feel like a grown-up. I pulled out a quote, and it happens later in the book, um, in sort of the next round of antics when Ramona decides to throw a house party, which is also hilarious. But Beezus is then having a conversation with their mom about how someday Ramona will learn and she's going to have to grow up. The line is, Beezus almost felt sorry for Ramona because she would have to wait such a long time to be grown up. And that sort of implies like Beezus feels as though she is a grown up. And I, again, relate to that so much of being like, I'm nine years old, but because my sister's four, I'm a grown up. And I think like you said, it's interesting the moments throughout the book where her true age is kind of revealed. Like she has these moments of silliness and these moments of creativity that that are really fun to read. But in her head, she feels so grown up and so mature compared to her sister. Yeah, I think even, you know, even having a smaller age gap with my sister um, than you do, like, I share that feeling as well. I constantly felt like I was, you know, mature for my age or grown up. You know, my parents said that to me. Other people said that to me. I was always the one who seemed older than they were. Um, And I think a huge part of that is that I had a younger sister and that I was sort of constantly, you know, positioning myself as the older one, whatever that meant at the time. Another theme throughout the book that that really drives that home for me is how often Beezus and her parents kind of have this like wink to each other about Ramona's behavior or they, you know, scheme to make sure that Ramona isn't receiving negative attention or receiving attention for her bad behavior. Um, And those sort of like quasi parenting moments for Beezus are I don't know, are really affecting reading it later. Because I know that I've done that. I know I've participated in that. And it was, you know, thinking about it now, like, I don't know. I think I wish that that wasn't a pressure that older siblings felt they needed to do and or felt they needed to sort of co-parent. I find myself doing it more now as an adult because my sisters are in college and just finishing college and kind of at an age that's like, to be honest, it's hard to navigate. There's a lot to figure out and not necessarily a time that I found easy. And I think it's hard as an older sibling not to offer unsolicited advice, even as an adult. I think as a kid, I remember it being such a fine line because I I always felt kind of like satisfied with myself when I could like make a joke with my parents about something that my sisters were doing or when I could understand like something that they were trying to do. And most of the time, 
that was fine. And most of the time my parents were cool with that. But I remember sometimes like maybe going too far with it and my parents being like, no, Allie, like we're the parents. And I don't know if you had that experience, but it is interesting. I think as a kid and as a really precocious kid, which it sounds like you were, and and I think that I was too, it's hard because you're trying to like pick up on what it means to be an adult. And like, you want your parents to see that you're absorbing what they're doing. And it feels really good to be able to like mirror that back. But at the end of the day, you're still a kid. And so I related to Bezos in that way a lot as well, where it's like you're trying to figure out where you fit in somewhere between your parents and your younger sibling. Yeah, I guess like, you know, Bezos is nine years old. Being a nine-year-old kid, like you are still constantly absorbing information. You're such a sponge. And I think picking up kind of what your parents are putting down about like how to be a grown up, how to act, you know, appropriately is something that I certainly understand and like felt like it was a huge deal to learn and to emulate. And yeah, so I think it's hard to not try and emulate that or even try to sort of teach that unsolicitedly to your younger sibling. Yeah, I had the same sort of experience. Let's move on to Ramona's house party, which I referenced before. And I just think it's hilarious, especially when you just call it Ramona's house party, because (laughs) she's four years old and somehow she's managed to pull together this big group of kids to show up at her house. And this is the part that blows my mind the most. They all show up at the same time. Like, I don't know any four-year-old that would be able to remember, like, okay, like, these are the people that I invited, and this is the time that I told them to show up, and this is the address that I'm supposed to give them, and it actually works. Like, Ramona clearly is much more together than Beezus gives her credit for. I agree with that. I think the house party is a great example of, like, truly how impish younger siblings can be. And maybe this is the fact that it's written from Beezus's perspective, but, like, younger siblings are such little shits a lot of the time. Like, they really are. And I think the house party is such a dramatic example of like Ramona doing whatever she wants and sort of not caring one way or the other. I think it's also the scene where Ramona is like most obviously misbehaving. There's that moment where she's trying to force the Fig Newtons down somebody's throat. and like, Such an aggressive move, it's really. It's so aggressive. And it's clearly coming from this place of, like, she's not getting enough attention from her her friends, her many friends. And so she has to sort of, like, make this big, big, loud, like, messy, chaotic moment for herself. Yeah, it was supposed to be her party. And then somehow Beezus ended up like being the one to come up with all the good ideas. And she also realizes that a party is like not about one person. It's about hanging out with your pals. And it just, it really like, it seems to have spiraled out of her control. And that's very frustrating for her. Yeah. I think in that scene, I, I also, you know, I empathize with Beezus a lot throughout the book, obviously. But I think that was the scene where I was like, you're a good sister. You're a super good sister to take this ridiculous moment and like give it your all and participate so thoroughly and help your mom at the same time. That's huge. It sounds awful as an older sibling to do that for your younger sibling, but it's like a really nice thing. And I don't know that she's doing it just to, you know, sort of perform her duties. I think she's doing it because she is creative and wants to, you know, Ramona to be proud of her and wants Ramona to like being with her and and all of those things. I agree. I think she's coming at it from the right place. My perspective on it, I definitely would have done the same thing and I would have like thrown myself into making it this great party. My mindset would have been like, I'm a perfectionist. This is spiraling out of control and I want my parents to see that I can help them like 
take this back into their like power and make it great. And everybody's going to have a great time. And I want to make everybody happy. That's very noble of you. I don't know that I would have done that. I think I definitely am a perfectionist. I would have shared the sort of discomfort of the party going awry. But I think I also would have been like, I don't know, I think I would have sort of like stuck my nose up at Ramona's inability to plan a perfect party, despite the fact that she's four years old. Um, I probably would have used it as like a measuring stick of our capabilities, sadly. True. But secretly, I would have been like, this is going to prove that I have my shit together and my sister doesn't. <laughs> like that would have been sort of the nasty undertone. Again, sorry to any of my sisters who are listening and also my parents who are going to think that that was a very rude thing to say. But it's yeah. true. I love my sister so much, but I certainly was a very nasty, bossy older sister for a long time. It's hard. I mean, I've never had a brother. I don't know how the dynamic is different between a brother and a sister. I'm always fascinated, actually, in reading books for the podcast when there's a brother character. I think when you grow up with all sisters, you're always sort of curious as to what it would be like to have a relationship with a brother, particularly an older brother. Like I've always been fascinated by that. But I, I do know that the dynamic with sisters is hard. It's very competitive and it can be contentious, but it's also like the most fun when, when it's good. Yeah, agreed. So let's talk about the apple incident, which actually is a scene before the house party. But I think this one is so ridiculous and, and maybe a little bit over the top that I do want to mention it. So basically, Beezus is home watching Ramona and she can't find Ramona, which is actually a problem. So she goes searching all over the house and there's going to be this terrible thing if obviously Ramona is missing. But in the end, she finds Ramona sitting alone in the basement. And the big problem is that Ramona has taken a single bite out of every apple in the box and is just like depositing them into a pile. And if mom finds out, she's going to be so mad. And this, again, like, I think this might be a sign of the times that like, these are the stakes that we're dealing with. And mom does the marketing and you know, you know how hard marketing can be. But Beezus like loses her cool about this. Like this is way more than she seems to be able to handle that Ramona would pull this kind of shit while she's babysitting. I fucking love the apple scene. I think it's so outrageous. You know, I have a pretty heavy background in theater and something like this is so theatrical to me. Like I can picture this like grubby, disgusting little child eating apples in a basement. Like there's nothing creepier. Um, and so I sort of keep picturing like Jesus going down the stairs, like the furnace is blowing, there's fire everywhere. And then like her gross little sister eating all the apples. And I think this scene is like a great example of yes, sort of how dated, you know, this bit is like, what could be worse than eating all the apples we were maybe saving for pie. They have them in their basement for a reason. Yeah. They had a lot of apples to be concerned with. And like confused as to why they're down there, whatever, all things aside, taking one bite out of each apple and then discarding it is like, like so sociopathic. It's such a choice. It's such a choice. Um, and it's also not really explained. There's the one line about her taking the bite of like the reddest part of the apple. And I, I have to say, I get that. Like speaking from personal experience, I always buy apples from Trader Joe's with like the grandest of intentions that I'm going to like be somebody who eats an apple a day. But I have like three bites and I'm over it. So I actually am like, Ramona, you're not wrong here. No, she's not wrong, she's but not she's wrong. certainly like sociopathic in her response. <laughs> yeah, certainly sociopathic in the depths of the foundation of their house. I think the response 
from, you know, Beezus and Mother with a capital M is one that strikes me as sort of odd and like out of, I don't know, a sort of like bad reaction and that they're like, not a problem, applesauce for all. But it is like a funny sort of turn of events that they're able to take this, what I think is like a truly insane gesture on Ramona's part and make it sort of productive for Ramona's party and then for their dinner later that night. Well, who wouldn't think to turn a bunch of barely eaten apples into applesauce, Penny? I mean, honestly, (laughs) what else would you do? But like, I don't even know, how does one make homemade applesauce? But mother does. I I have made homemade applesauce and it's extremely difficult. Is it? Yeah, it takes a long time. I was surprised that she didn't make a pie, to be honest. I was thinking that would be easier. But applesauce, like, this isn't a skill that people commonly know now. I think you're the only person I've ever spoken to who's who has experience with this. So this is, again, yeah, a sign of the times. A lot of strainers, Ugh. a lot of, like, really intense wooden spoons against mixing bowls. It's pretty hard. That sounds tough. They serve the applesauce at the house party. So again, like tying it up in a lovely little bow. Thank you, Beverly Cleary, for doing that so perfectly. Another terrible incident, the art class. This also made me very angry, perhaps angrier than I was during the birthday party scene, which we'll talk about next and is sort of, I think, supposed to be like the climax of mm-hmm. Beezus's frustration. But basically, Ramona like shows up at Beezus's art class, which is supposed to be her safe haven away from Ramona it I mean talk about turf like this really is supposed to be her turf and um the quote that I pulled out from the book about this is Miss Robbins who Miss Robbins is the art teacher Miss Robbins was letting Ramona stay in the class the one place where she was never allowed to tag along Miss Robbins would probably like her painting because it would be so full of imagination Ramona's pictures in fact were so full of imagination that it took even more imagination to tell what they were so Beezus is like getting all fired up about the fact that A, Ramona is here in the art class, but not only that, she's now afraid that Ramona is going to like outshine her in a space that is supposed to be her own. And my other reaction, and again, this is just a sign of how many years have passed since this book came out, is that like, if this were to happen today, you text your mom and you're like, mom, Ramona wandered off the playground into art class and I'm going to need you to come get her. Whereas in 1955, the solution is, well, like, I guess Ramona is just going to have to stay. And that's a nightmare. Yeah. I guess going back to you saying this is one of the you know most frustrating parts of the book for you. It is for me as well. I think this is infuriating. And thinking about it now, it is something that like really kind of raises my blood pressure. My sister and I are, we're very different people, but we had very similar interests growing up. And again, I was older. I did things first, which was always traumatic to my younger sister. And my mom's sort of tactic for avoiding those confrontations was she put us in a lot of different activities. So Mm -hmm. like my sister did piano and dance and I did, you know, after school drama and things like that. And so we were kind of kept separate. But the experience that we have now as sisters, you know, my sister is still in college, but she she's an art student. She's an artist and she is so creative and like such an inspiration to me now. But I think, you know, had that been something that happened when I was a teenager, when we were in sort of the same place in our lives or interested in pursuing similar things, it would have driven me crazy. I would have been felt very competitive. Yeah, I can't really imagine Beezus's, I don't know, I think she handled it well, but it's so irritating. I think the other thing is there's like a big difference between being nine and being four. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you even get the full extent of that from this book because it's written for children. And I think the idea is that like there's this interesting economy kind of among kids and the way that kids talk to each other. And, and the playing field is definitely much more level to a kid, even when they're dealing with kids that are much younger or older than they are. But the truth is, when you step back and you think about it, there's a huge difference between sort of like Bezos's objective maturity level and ability and Ramona's. That's just a fact of life. And so I think it's even more ridiculous to realize as an adult that like this is an art class theoretically of what, like third graders, fourth graders who have been in school for three or four years and kind of know how to be in a class and know that you're supposed to sit and wait for instructions from the teacher and know to like wait their turn for things. And then Ramona, who's like a nursery schooler, which is totally cool. And, you know, that's where she is, but she doesn't have those skills. And so stepping back and like actually picturing a scene where she's trying to fit in among these nine-year-olds is kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. One of the other reasons that I was really interested in in this book in particular, um, and in the podcast in general, is that I used to moderate a book club for middle graders. So I was, you know, with third and fourth graders and some fifth graders once a month reading books like this, reading more contemporary middle grade work. And it really is amazing. It's a really interesting age. It's an age that kids are so curious and sort of like, I feel like you either become a reader or you don't at that age. And... And so, yeah, thinking about like, you know, those kids or, or, you know, how I was at nine years old and then thinking about a four-year-old who, you know, I think a lot of nine-year-olds refer to four-year-olds as babies is pretty wild. And then I guess also to think about like Ramona is able to like use a paintbrush, sort of. She doesn't quite get there, but she does it in a way that is acceptable. Yeah, she works with it. It's just interesting. It's sort of like a mind fuck when you, and again, like as throughout the process of this podcast, I've had to try to contextualize a lot of these different stages that the characters are going through. And I think that's hard when you're in your 20s and you don't have kids, you don't have friends that have kids. And it's been so long since you were around children this age. I think the fact that you spent time with middle graders moderating this book club, which first of all, that's amazing. Um, I'm sure that helps contextualize, but it is hard. Like sometimes I'm reading these books and I'm like, is this how a child of this age would actually behave? Is this for dramatic effect? Like how much do I actually know about how these kids are supposed to be acting? But I do think that the fact that these kids are five years apart, like five years when you're nine years old or four years old, like that's a huge gap. And so I think that just like intensifies all the feelings that Bezos must be having good or bad about Ramona. Totally. So we have to talk about the birthday party because I mentioned that that it's sort of like the climactic scene. It's kind of where all of the lessons get learned at the end of the book. Essentially, Ramona is on the way to ruining Beezus' birthday. She's um, somehow destroyed two birthday cakes that Mother at the Capital M has made. So rude. And Beezus has had, like, enough. She's done. She cannot possibly handle Ramona anymore. There's sort of just like an outburst about the whole thing. But Aunt Beatrice, who is both Beezus's namesake and like her favorite adult, comes over and she's sort of like the ultimate reason that things get sorted out. And I think that's such like a testament to the fact that as a kid, having an adult in your life who's not your parent is such a huge deal. Like I remember that feeling of being so excited when an aunt or a family friend was coming over and like being so psyched for them to like be part of my life and for them to ask me questions about myself. And I was always like really interested in what they had to say. 
probably sometimes more so than what my parents had to say. I think definitely more so. I think it's really tough to always listen to your parents, you know, for that voice to be the only one that you hear or that you, you know, think is true. It it can get really confusing, especially given that, you know, parents are people and they make mistakes and they're hypocrites. And I think having this sort of you know, and Beatrice is, you know, positioned as this like incredibly pure, optimistic, sunny, lovely, lovely human. And for that to be Beezus's namesake, as well as this sort of constant, like positive figure in her life is huge. Well, and she's also a teacher. Adults are like perfect enough. And I, you know, to a little girl, I think, especially like a younger than your mom, female adult is perfect. And then a teacher who's kind of untouchable even more perfect. So she's sort of like the best possible type of character that the author could have designed to impart some wisdom on Beezus, who like really needed some wisdom from outside of her parents. And there's this this sort of thread throughout the book where like Beezus is feeling all of this guilt about like not always liking Ramona. And that is such a hard thing to figure out. She has these moments where she just like looks at Ramona and is like, what the fuck? She, there's one quote where she says, and as she looked at Ramona, a terrible thought came to her. Right that very instant, she was so exasperated with Ramona that she did not like her at all. Not one little bit. Then later, there's another quote that says, she ought to like Ramona. Sisters always liked each other. They were supposed to, like mother and Aunt Beatrice. But that was different, Beezus thought quickly. Aunt Beatrice wasn't like Ramona. She was, well, she was Aunt Beatrice, loving and understanding and full of fun. Ramona was noisy and grubby and exasperating. Sometimes I don't like Ramona at all, and I'm supposed to like her because she's my sister. Oh dear, even if she's little, can't she ever be more like other people's sister? So this is coming up like again and again throughout the book. This is something that that really resonates with me. I mean, when I think back on like how many fights did my sister and I have where we both were just screaming, I hate you, like over and over and over again. And I think, you know, maybe this is a sign of the fact that it's written in 1955, but I think Beverly Cleary is pretty tame here, actually, you know, to say I'm so exasperated with my sister. I don't even like her one bit is is nice. It's polite. It's polite, very polite. And, you know, it doesn't have any of the sort of acrimony that I think my fights with my sister had. But yeah, it's a, it's a really relatable feeling to sort of know that, you know, like I said, know that this person is the closest person to you in the universe and also to like not want them anywhere near you, you know? Right. It's kind of the idea of like, I love you, but I don't always like you. And the author doesn't explain that in so many words. And I don't know if that's sort of a phrase that we think about more now than in the 50s like that's something that we say a lot in in 2018 and and that I've heard a lot over the course of my life but that's really what the lesson is they use the word love all the time it's always like Beezus realizes that she doesn't love Ramona right now and even when the mom and the aunt are talking they're saying things like we realize that we didn't always love each other and I think now the conversation has shifted more to like you always love your siblings but you don't always have to like them you always love your significant other but sometimes you're annoyed with them and you don't always like them so I thought that was interesting and maybe something that probably would be different if this book were to be revisited today yeah I totally agree I think Another thing that I sort of thought about while reading this book, and, you know, I think this is also the product of like a decade or more of therapy on my end, but I think there's an important distinction between, you know, loving someone and also being loving toward them. And I think 
it's really hard to be loving to someone all the time, especially when you, you know, have this sibling dynamic, especially when you live in the same house, especially when they seem like they ruin your life and do actually ruin things that belong to you. But I think it's also clear throughout the book that Beezus really does love Ramona and Ramona really loves Beezus. And yeah, it's interesting to, to think about, you know, not only the difference in sort of ways of phrasing that, but to try to articulate it as a nine-year-old is tricky. It doesn't make a ton of sense, you know? I do think Beezus is pretty emotionally intelligent, don't you? Like, I think yeah. even though she, it takes time to figure some of this stuff out, like, she can express her feelings pretty well throughout the book. Yeah, I agree with that. And it just sort of takes Mother and Aunt Beatrice to lay out, like, their own history, which we find out over the course of Beezus's birthday dinner has not always been as sunny as it appears. Like, they share all of these stories of their own childhood. Hilariously, the worst one has to do with an autograph book, which I only remember from going to Disney World when I was little. <laughs> I guess Aunt Beatrice, being the younger sister, like, destroyed Mother's autograph book when they were kids, which is so reminiscent of what Ramona did to Beezus's library book. And so all of these stories show Beezus that like yeah you can do all of these terrible things to each other as a little sister you can be horribly annoying and you can still grow into like a responsible lovely Aunt Beatrice who is going to have a great relationship with her older sister and um of course at the end there's these like sort of beautifully written again like wrapped up with a nice bow lines maybe she wouldn't think Ramona was so exasperating after all maybe that was just the way things were with sisters a lovely feeling of relief came over Beezus what if she didn't love Ramona all the time it didn't matter at all. She was just like any other sister. And I think one of the things that was interesting about the way that Mother and Aunt Beatrice explained that to Beezus is that, P.S., Beezus is a really hard word to say. Can we, I'm just going to mention it. It is, but it's an incredibly hard word to say. Beezus has not been rolling off my tongue. So listeners, if Beezus sounds weird or if I'm stumbling over it, it just acknowledge that it's a very hard word for us to say. And I think we're doing a pretty good job. Mother and Aunt Beatrice, when, um, when Beezus tells them that like, I don't always love Ramona, they're like, yeah, but like, she doesn't always love you. And I loved that because it was, first of all, it was like way sort of more frank and like a little bit meaner than I would have expected them to be, but like so true and such a, an important thing for Beezus to hear. Yeah, a super important thing for Beezus to hear. I think, you know, one of the other interesting things about being an older sibling and is that a lot of the time you think it's all about you. Mm -hmm. Like it was for a while and then it wasn't. And there is some of that. You need to be like knocked down a peg a little bit. And so, yeah, I really loved that too. And it, it was frank. It was something that like, it seems like throughout the book, mother with a capital M and, you know, father who is not there all the time are a little bit oblivious. They don't seem to care that much. And so for them to really take the time to kind of explain this to Beezus is, is actually really nice to see. I love this family. I think they're great. I would love to hang out with them. I think one other thing that's interesting about reading this now and, you know, not as a six-year-old, but also not as somebody growing up in the 1950s in a clearly, like, middle-class environment. Some sisters suck. Like, they're, like, some people have really toxic relationships with their sisters, and, like, you know, sisters aren't just exasperating. They're actually, like, really intensely difficult and all those things, and, you know, I think there's not a ton of room for that in this book. It's obviously a book for early readers, but it is interesting to sort of think about, like, what would a family look like in a book today, mm. you know, probably wouldn't look like this, or I'd hope it wouldn't look like this. It's very Beaver Cleaver-esque. Yes, very Beaverly Cleaverly. Beaverly Cleaverly. That's a great phrase. I think we should start using it more often. But even in the illustrations, I noted like 
mother looks super young. And that just made me laugh because she probably was. I mean, she has a nine-year-old and she has a four-year-old and this is 1955. So she could easily be my age. I'm 28. It would certainly not be out of the question for her to be 28 and to have these two children. If she wasn't 28, she's probably 30, 31. And in the illustration, she looks really young, which again, like reading it from the point in time where I am now, just kind of like totally is a mind fuck of like, I was reading this book as a kid thinking mother is a supreme authority and kind of like waiting for her to impart her wisdom on Beezus and make everything okay. And now I'm like, you know, if the illustrations are any indication, I'm now mother's contemporary. And that's really weird. You know, she's wearing like boyfriend jeans. Yeah. She has like some great style actually. Good haircut. I might snap some pics from these illustrations and post them on the SSR social media so you all can see what we're talking about because these illustrations are really fun, actually. Probably some of my favorite of the books that I've reread. Um, so look out for that because I think you need to see what mother's looking like in these pages. But I like her. I generally like this family, although, as you mentioned, it, it's certainly too um, simple and and unrealistic for our time and I think it's kind of fascinating to read now that like this is what a standard family would have been written as in 1955 that would certainly not fly today kind of the whole point of books for middle graders and young readers today I think is to demonstrate that there are all kinds of variations for families and for friends and so this is like the opposite of that yeah, I think, you know, that's something I've tried to be really intentional about with this book club that I mentioned too. Like, again, this is the time, like this is the time, third grade, fourth grade, you know, younger if you're being read to, but like, this is the time where you're really expanding your understanding of like people in the world and stories that can be told and the stories that should be told. And yeah, I think it is interesting to reread this kind of book, especially one that, you know, has illustrations, especially one that's pretty clear about about class and and to not sort of acknowledge that those are particulars about this story. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily actively taking anything away, but it's certainly not adding anything to the conversation. And um, I've gotten some emails recently from listeners who are asking if we can cover more LGBT-focused books and that sort of thing, which I'm all for. But the truth is that if we're talking about throwback books, you know, written let's say prior to 1999, which is kind of like, those are the books that we would have read growing up. Like the truth is that those books don't exist. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news on that, but it's the truth. And so I think a goal of mine is to look for those stories, even if they're secret. You know, there's a lot of books out there for kids that were written years and years ago that have characters that we find out later were intended to be gay or families that we find out later on were maybe more complicated than they appeared. So I'm trying to find those books, but I do think that Beezus and Ramona is an obvious example of like the classic typical family that was written about. And, you know, there were TV shows written about this family. Like this was the family that pop culture centered around in this time period. And that's just kind of the way that it was. Yeah. I mean, they're the perfect family. They're the picture perfect family. And I think what is interesting about this you know, character of Ramona in particular is that she's definitely part of the perfect family, but she's an imperfect kid, right? Like she's chaotic and messy and aggravating and misbehaving. And that's like, that's something that you didn't get in every portrayal of this kind of family. Certainly Beverly Cleary writes characters like this as sort of, you know, lessons and teaching moments and, you know, how do we treat those in our family? How do we treat our friends? How do we learn from each other? How do we respect each other? I really think that that even books like this that that aren't necessarily telling a story that a writer today might want to tell more thoughtfully is 
like, these are still great teaching moments, like great to teach kids about a library book and like what to do with it and what not to do with it. So I think there's definitely still gems to mine. Yeah, she was making a little progress. Ramona is nuanced. This family is nuanced. A lot of the positive reviews that I read about this book, even from when when it released in the 50s and then in the decades after, were about the fact that like this family was relatable in a lot of ways and in a lot of the negative ways that parents and kids experience life. In a later book, father loses his job and they have some financial stresses. And even in this book, the kids are, are I hate to use the word normal because that's not a word that, that I like to use, but they're normal in the sense that they're complicated and they have really great qualities and really not so great qualities, but that's okay because they're still great kids. And I think in, in that way, Beverly Cleary has just like captured childhood. I read that she was actually a children's librarian before she became an author and her inspiration for these books was like a little boy came up to her while she was working at the library and said, where are all the books about kids like me? Because they felt like there weren't any kids about just like families that lived in neighborhoods like their own that were fighting with their siblings and doing things with their parents and things like that. And so that's why Beverly Cleary wrote the Henry Huggins books, and then went on to write these books about the Quimby's. So I think that sort of captures where she was coming from. Has this experience made you love Beezus and Ramona all the more, or has it ruined it in some way for you? Has it not held up? No, I think I like it more. You know, I really do. I think, like I said, it was never one of my favorites. It's never one that I sort of thought about as like my childhood book. But coming to it now, you know, I really appreciate the relationship between Beezus and Ramona. Like you said, I really appreciate this one being from Beezus's perspective um, as an older sibling I feel like there's a little bit of a win in there for me yeah it does feel relatable I think I feel a lot of affection towards these characters that I I don't think I did the first time yeah you don't get that the first time around is what I found generally with rereading these books is like you have a fondness for some of the things that they're going through and just like an appreciation for their lives in a different kind of way which is totally. nice it's like a lovely experience. So outside of Beezus and Ramona, which I'm sure took you like an hour to read, it took me maybe an hour and a half to read. Um, is there anything else that you've been reading lately or that you're reading right now that you would want to recommend to our SSR listeners? I'm currently reading Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway, which I have never read. Shockingly enough, I was an English major. I've always been a big reader. I've never actually sat down and read it. I'm doing that now and I really love it. I mean, I think I love it for some reasons that are like not so fun. Like I love, you know, I love the writing and I love the sort of creative storytelling, but I don't particularly like the characters. I don't particularly care for the story, but I think it's something I've been, you know, trying to force myself to do for a while and I'm and I'm doing it now and I am proud of myself. Something else I recently read that I really recommend is Patricia Lockwood's Priest Daddy. It's a memoir. It's so funny beyond being like so beautiful and so haunting. It's also like truly laugh out loud funny. Yeah. And I love reading long form, more prose by poets. Well, I will include links to the two books you mentioned, as well as to Beezus and Ramona in the show notes so that if our listeners want to pick up a copy for themselves, they can. Penny, thank you so much for joining us as a guest. I really like, it was fun to dive into these like big sister feelings with you. It was a much I have to say it was a much richer conversation than I would have expected out of Beezus and Ramona, not because I didn't love it, but because at face value, it's just kind of this like fun, silly book about kids. And it was nice to sort of like take a deeper look at things. And I'm grateful that you took the time to read the book and to talk with me about it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Allie. I had a great time rereading. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.